We all ready? Okay. So let me just begin to share with you some things that happened. When I was praying before I went, um, I was spending quite a bit of time in prayer. And I know many of you were praying for me as well. I would just come into the church, just pray hours at a time, in just praying in the Holy Ghost, covering every angle of the trip. And um, so the one evening I got home, I switched on the TV. When I put the TV on, I saw that the queen had sadly passed away. And suddenly the power of God just hit me. An anointing came over me. And God said to me this. He said, your trip has suddenly taken on a deeper significance. So I messaged a few of the network pastors. And I said, look, I know that some of you are praying because I'd asked them to pray. And I said, this is what God spoke to me. But before I could even send the WhatsApp, two pastors WhatsApped me back, or three pastors WhatsApped me, and they said, Pastor John, in view of the Queen's passing, your trip has just taken on a greater significance. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. So, so just keep that in mind. And I really felt like the Lord was saying, and it's taking Scripture a little bit out of context. You know, I taught the correct context when I was there. But God said to me, forget the former things. Behold, I do anew. With the passing of one and the coming of the new, I'm going to do a new thing in the United Kingdom. And um, so everywhere I went, everybody was speaking, there's something new coming. There's something new happening. And it was like the old God is gone and it's time for the new. So I just want you to keep that in mind. The amazing thing is when I landed at Heathrow Airport, Dave and Carol had booked me into the Premier in outside Terminal 4 so that we could meet up and spend time together. And so I arrived there just before 10, checked in, went and sat down in the sort of lounge area. Just then Dave and Carol arrived, and uh, they just quickly went and checked in. We found a table, and we sat there from 10 o'clock till 11 o'clock that night. We never moved. All we did was share and talk, and uh, they were asking me about all of you guys and all of those that, you know, they remember by name and how so-and-so and how so-and-so. And then we just began to speak things that God had done in the past, past visits to their church, past visits here. And uh, we had breakfast, then we had lunch, and then we had supper, basically staying at that same table till 11 o'clock at that night. Next morning we had breakfast. I flew to Ireland. Pastor Kevin Sandbrook picked me up from the city airport in Belfast, there's two, there's Belfast International and there's Belfast City Airport. And when he picked me up, I walked out and he said, you just missed the king. He said, he landed and he walked out here minutes before you landed and he walked right past me. And I was going like, wow, that's really amazing. Same airport. Whoa. So I said, that's okay. That's okay. We're going to go and see because he's at Hillsborough Castle. So we pick up Rosemary, we drive into town, we go and park where they stay. And literally we walk out of the house, down the road, round the corner, round the corner, and he has all the barricades. There's Hillsborough Castle, and the king is there at Hillsborough Castle. So we're going like, this is unbelievable. So we walk down the road, and there's nobody. It's just Kevin, Rosemary, and myself. And we're standing, and then around the corner, here it comes. And he says, the king's car is the one with the royal standard on it. So zoom camera on him. Like this, and, and as he comes past us, he gives us the royal wave. I'm sure it was to me. So he does, he does the royal wave. And I promise you, I promise you, he's from here to the communion table way. And I'm going, this is the king, this is the new king. Wow. And the entourage passes, and I'm going, I'm going like, this is unbelievable. This is, you know, what God told me out of the old, and he allowed me to see the new. And I'm standing meters from there, and I'm, I'm just goosebumps. 
everywhere. I'm just goosebumps. And off goes the king. So anyway, he was in and around that area the whole time we were there. So Tuesday night, we start the meeting. So I just want to tell you that the honor with which I was received on this trip, I've never experienced before. Never, ever experienced the honor that I experienced on this particular trip. And uh, Kevin and Rosemary were just absolutely magnificent. And, um, but you know, the Irish are crazy. They've got a saying, you should never go to bed on the same day you got up on. <laughs> so when I produce the video clips of this trip, you're going to see me looking really tired. And I want to tell you, the camera's not lying because I was very tired, okay? So, I mean, we were getting to bed late, you know, half 12, half 1, whatever. And then my body clock is 5 o'clock, I'm awake, you know? So then I would just get up and pray. So I was off to a bad start as far as my sleep was concerned, but off to a good start as far as the power of God was concerned. But um, they were so honoring. Everybody was so honoring. It was good to reconnect with them. And, you know, we picked up the relationship just like this as if it hasn't been 15 years. So Tuesday night, they asked me to share and preach at the launch of another church, a church plant. So it was really incredible to be part of that and the significance because of the anointing that is on this house to be involved in a church plant. I mean, you know, so it's brilliant. I don't want to explain everything. I want you to hear with the correct ears. And so that was the Tuesday night. Wednesday and Thursday, I spent really good quality time with Kevin, and he just said, you know, it's my thing. When there's a man of God around, I want to ask questions and learn. So he was asking questions, and we were sharing all kinds of things. And um, it took me to St. Patrick's, the center where they tell the life of St. Patrick. We went up to Saul, where St. Patrick built the first church. And spend some time praying there. And uh, from there, then he took me to St. Patrick's grave. And uh, just it's a big stone with Patrick on it. And I was able to kneel there again. When I went with Prophet Quibus, we both took turns to lay on the grave and just say, God, just resurrect something, do something powerful, like in the days of St. Patrick. And I knelt on the grave, and I just began to pray, God, would you do something fresh? Would you do something new? And so Friday night, I ministered to the men of the church Saturday Morning and afternoon, there was about 90 to 100 leaders gathered from all over Ireland that came together in one room. We had praise and worship. And I just want to tell you that the word of the Lord was so accurate as far as the preached message. The pastors, the leaders were absolutely blown. And the power that was in that place. I ministered the morning, and, and God gave me prophetic words for people. There was a lady standing right in front of me. I just prophesied. She wept. And when we stopped for lunch, she came and sat. She said, I'm blown. She said, I'm floating. She said, I think I'm going to fly out of here and fly home. And that was, you know, how it was happening. The power of God just walked in. The session after that, again, I shared another message that absolutely, absolutely blew them away. So the power of God hit. So when I was finished, I just said, look, I would like to lay hands on all of you pastors and leaders. So they all got into a queue. And here they come. And we're just ministering. And I'm just blessing them. They're falling down. We're having a great time. And then this one couple comes forward to me, and I lay hands on them. But she's standing with her hands like this. And I just took her hands, and I just said, I release power in Jesus' name. And the power of God, it was like a shock. And they walked off. And then, you know, I just ministered the afternoon. I just laying hands. So afterwards, Kevin and Rosemary said, well, Pastor John, we don't know what to say, but there's 100-plus churches in Ireland <laughs> for you to preach at now. And not that I'll take it, but just the significance of meeting with all those leaders and having an impact on them 
and in their churches. And subsequently, quite a few of them have gone back and just, you know, God powerfully moved in their churches. So the impact, listen, church, the impact, you've got to understand this, the impact was national. The impact was national. Yeah, I think you can give God a hand for that. So the impact of it went through. So some of you saw the video clip. I'm going to just tell you the way this lady said it. And they're a very prophetic couple. They've started prophetic schools. But she came to me afterwards. She was also born in Zimbabwe. And so she just was appreciating the Zimbabwe connection. And she came and she stood with me and she said, I just want to tell you what happened to me yesterday. She said, when you took my hands and said, power, she said, I've never felt anything like it. She said, power came into my hands. She said, it was just like, like power. And she said, it started some time ago, she said, but I felt that a lump had developed in my breast. And she said, it grew to about the size of one of those cherry tomatoes. So just forgive me, I'm going to say it the way she says it, because they don't mind saying it like that. She said, I'm very flat-chested. She said, but that growth grew into the size of a golf ball. And she said, I had to wear extremely baggy tops, because if I just wore a normal top, you could actually see the golf ball. She's the size of a golf ball. She says, you prayed for me, and this power came into my hands. She said, I started walking towards my table, and just so that I would be inconspicuous, I put my hand there on the lamp. She said, and then I was watching you just ministering, just enjoying the ministry, and then it came to an end, and we were upstairs in this building in Belfast. She said, we walked down the stairs, got to the parking, and she says, and I put my hand there, and the lamp's completely gone. Amen. And completely disappeared. And she shared an amazing prophetic word with me that I believe is some part of the future of ACF. Next morning, so, you know, um, there's another part that I want to get to, so I'm rushing a little bit. The next morning, I preached in Kevin and Rosemary's church. And I had a few words of knowledge about healing, and I called up some people that came. And uh, when I was praying down the line, I came to this young lady by the name of Margaret. And she was up there with a walker with wheels on and brakes, you know. And she stood there, and I said, what is your name? She said, Margaret. I said, sweetheart, what can I do for you? She said, I have cerebral palsy, cerebral palsy, and I want Jesus to heal me. I said, that's great. Let's pray for you. So I took the walker, just spontaneous. I took the walker away and wheeled it. It's a fairly smallish church, so it went, you know, crashed into the side wall. So I said, let me pray for you. Laid hands on the power of God came on her. I mean, she started, whoa, yeah, whoa, and crying. And she was arching. And mom was standing right next to her, and the mom was just weeping. She's just crying. And I'm looking at the mom, and I said, this is amazing. And she's going, this is amazing. So the power of God is on this girl. And she's like, whoa, wow, and crying and bending, and she's moving. And I said, I waited for a couple of minutes, and I said, sweetheart, what's happening to you? And I gave her the microphone. She says, you don't understand. And the mom's drying her eyes and drying her nose because it was raining, you know. And she said, you don't understand. This little girl, Margaret, said, she said, you took my walk away. I could not stand for more years than I can remember. She said, I couldn't stand. And just in that moment, I just took the walker, pushed it away, and she's standing. That's why the mom started crying. She didn't fall over. It was a prophetic mistake, and God rescued me. Amen. I mean, it was so powerful. You know, I'm going, oh. 
So I said, all right. I said, come on, let's finish it. So I put my arms around her, and I just said, walk in Jesus' name. I took my hands off, and I said, walk. And yes, she's walking. I mean, she's walking is difficult, but yes, she's walking. Something she hasn't been able to do virtually from birth. She's walking. She's walking. She's walking like this. Everybody's going ballistic. You know, everyone's going wild. So I watch her, and then I think, I don't want her to fall and lose faith. So I grab the walker, and I walk, and I stand behind her. And I said, are you intending to walk home, you know, to this girl? She's laughing. She's like, wow. I said, yes, the walker. I said, go and sit down over there and just let God carry on walking with you. The mom is finished. The mom is just weeping. She sits down. I'm ministering to some other people. And then suddenly one of the ladies comes running over. Pastor John, Pastor John, did you hear it? Did you see it? And she went and sat. And when she sat down, I kept looking back at her. And she's going, thank you, Jesus. And she's moving and she's stretching her legs and she's crying because the power of God is still on this girl. So and two ladies go over and stand and pray with her. So they're praying with her. And the next thing, they're just standing and saying, blessed, more Lord, more Lord. Next thing, this right leg starts to crack. The bone starts cracking. Crack, crack, pop, crack, 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 and her leg straightens out. Come on. Woo! The mother is bawling. That's the video clip I put on. She said, when I followed Margaret out this morning, she was walking on the inside of her right foot like this with her walker. And she said, I was standing there thinking, I'm going to have to take her to the occupational therapist. They're going to have to do some work on it because that's bad news. So now she gets up, Margaret gets up, and she's walking flat-footed after God did the work. Amen? Come on, that's a good place to say amen, you know? And her leg straightens out. And uh, so she went, she left the, with the walker. So I said to the church, you pray for her next week, and you pray for her next week, and you pray for her next week until she leaves that walker there. Amen? And so God did an incredible thing in that church. Sunday night I preached in Kevin and Rosemary's church, joined with another church, another couple. Powerful night. I mean, powerful. Just lots of words of knowledge. A lot of people came forward. A lot of people were touched. One was a lady who had a kidney transplant. I, mean, I heard about it through other pastors afterwards in the week. But um, I prayed for her, and I said to her, look, I have the authority. I have the power to give you life in the name of Jesus. I took her hands, and she said her, her kidneys were really struggling, very painful. And she told these other pastors afterwards, when I said to her, look at me, she said it was like, she, when she looked at me, she said, faith exploded in her heart. And she said, and all the pain left. Awesome. Amen. So I have never experienced in any trip that I've ever been on, ever, so many healings and so many miracles in such a short space of time. It just was just incredibly, incredibly powerful. So... Sunday night, it was powerful. Monday night, I met with all the regional prophets over the different areas called Prophets Bench. They came together, and so I was sitting there, and then it was like, all right, speak to us. And we go like, you all are the prophets, you know? So, but anyway, we had a, an incredible time ministering there, and again, just great prophetic words to, to myself for ACF. So if I was you, I would be getting ready for something. Is that okay? The next morning, um, I flew out to Glasgow, airport, pastors Mike and picked me up with his son, who's a pastor in the church, David, and we drove back and we just had incredible fellowship. Mike and Debbie were um, assistant pastors to Mike and Heather Dice in the church at Hatfield, just outside St. Albans when I used to visit. So I don't think I've seen them for 16 years either. 
So here comes the story now. So they wanted a weekend conference. And the Lord told Debbie, she's extremely, extremely prophetic, as you'll hear just now. The Lord told her, when they were going to do this conference, you phone John Wasserman. He will come. She said, the Lord said, you would come. So when one Sunday morning, that morning when, before I went to Zimbabwe and I preached on the laying out of hands, Debbie Smith was watching, and she was just blown away by the word. And then she sent me a message saying, please, could we set a time to talk? So she FaceTimed me a couple of days later, and she said, we're doing this weekend conference, and we would love for you to come. This is when it is. And you know, i just come back from, well, I was due to go to Zim's, and then our conference, and I was looking at the board. She said, she gave me the dates, and I, she was on the phone, and I walked, and I said, okay, here's the board. <laughs> Let me show you. I'm doing this and doing this, and then there's a gap doing this and this. I said, so there's a gap, and I said, okay, yes, I'll come. She said, Brilliant. We'll start making arrangements. Little did I know that it was not only an appointment for them, but it was an appointment for me. So besides what happened in Ireland, what happened in Ireland was powerful. It was significant. It was just another level, another level. Before I would go around and I would burn myself out preaching from church to church to church. Now, 90 plus leaders in one room and all of them just powerfully touched by God you know, 90 to 100 leaders. And so the invitations are coming thick and fast. They're all going, when you come again, can you come? I just said, we'll see. But so now I get to Ireland. You get to Ireland, and they said, Yo, you look tired. We just want you to rest a bit. So the first day they take me out, and uh, let's go and fish. So we go to this beautiful lock. It's exceptionally beautiful there. So we fish. I lose a few trout and uh, didn't catch anything. But then they say to me, this lake, this loch, is fed from a spring just over there. And it's called the Rumbling Well. And this Rumbling Well used to be a well of healing. On the last day of April, every single year, crowds would flock to this place, camp out overnight, sleep there. And on the morning of the 1st of May, would wake up and they would go and drink the water, touch the water, and people would be healed, blind, deaf, sick, lame, would be healed. So I looked at them and I said, me, i got to go to that well. So they said, okay, we'll bring you back and take you because we had a rush. So the long and short of the story is that um, Mike and I did a, a specific trip. And he said, you want to go to Rumbling Well? And I said, oh, absolutely. And uh, there was a king by the name of John, King John, in later years, he built a wall around it, and part of the wall is still there. And he claimed it as his own personal place of healing. So when he was sick, he would go and drink the water and take some of the water, and he would be healed. So I went back there, and Mike and I stood, and I told the story. We'll put it on Facebook. And so I went down. I got down on my hands and knees. I called right up to it. It was bubbling out of the ground. I drank the water. I was drinking it, saying, thank you for healing, Lord. Thank you for healing. I put my hands in the flowing water, crystal clear, ice-cold water, and it flows down into the loch. And I was praying. And I said, God, would you open up a healing well in ACF? God, would you open up a healing well in ACF? So in keeping with, so here's some of the water. So I brought some of the water back, and we're going to do a miracle healing pool, and I'm going to pour it in there. Okay? So 
possibly the Sunday before. Let's just see. The, possibly the Sunday before the pastor's conference. I'm going to do a healing well, healing pool. We're going to pour the water in there. Awesome. And uh, God's going to do awesome things. Amen. So that was the morning. The next day, they drove me around. And, um, you know, some of those stories I'll begin to share with you. Then the day before the conference starts, Pastor Debbie calls me in and she says, I need to share something with you. Now, remember, the Lord told her to invite me, and she said, and the Lord told her that I wouldn't say no, I'd say yes. She says, come, I want to share something with you. So Pastor Mike comes in, David comes in, um, his wife was at work, um, Abby, and she said, I need to tell you the story. She said, on my 50th birthday, she said, Mike and David went out fishing. The celebrations for my birthday was later in the afternoon and evening. And she said, I sat and I said to the Lord, is there anything you want to tell me? And the Lord said, yes, there is something I want to tell you. She said, what, Lord? She said, on the day the treasure is unearthed and brought to light, it will be a treasure of kingdom proportions and world-renowned. And on that day, know that you will have revival. And God said to her, this is my sign to you. And then the Lord gave her, if we got in the King James, Isaiah 43 and verse 5. And she said, and the Lord spoke these verses to her. And it's the verse that she got. Plus, plus. Now, it gets even more amazing from this point. So I want you to listen. So from this point, I'm going like, whoa. And she said, and so the Lord gave me Isaiah 45 verse 3. This is the verse that the Lord speaks to her. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by name, am the God of Israel. This is the verse the Lord gives her. So when Mike and David come home, they said, Do you have a good morning? She said, yes, the Lord spoke to me. So they said, okay, great. So they've got metal detectors because that place is historic. And they'd been out a few times and found little nails and things like that, and that was it. And so she said, you've got to go out because the Lord is going to unveil a treasure. So they go to this place from this particular hill. You look down across a valley, and there's a river. And the Vikings, when they used to invade that area of Scotland, they would come up in their longboats up the river. They were on a field just on the other side. And they're there one day, and then the thing beeps. And they start digging, and they uncover 29 Roman coins from about 700 years ago. So David immediately gets on the phone and says, Mom, I think we found it. She said, what is it? And they tell her, and she said, no, 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 that's not it. The Lord said it would be of kingdom proportions, and it would be of world-renowned. That's not the treasure. So they handed it in to the, you know, the museums and archaeology and and all of that kind of hand in those coins. Because in, in Scotland, the state owns it. They can give you something for it if, if they deem fit, but they didn't get anything for it. So they leave that field, come up over the mountain. There's a road, there's another field. And they're checking in that field. So they're looking in that field. They don't get anything. And Pastor Mike says, I want to go and check that field there. And the field comes up onto a mound. And on the mound, on top of the hill is a church. And it's one of the Covenanters' church, and maybe I'll tell you about that another time. So they then speak to another guy who's got a bigger machine. He does it for a living. And uh, Mike says to him, I want to go and do that field. He says, no, you're wasting your time. He says, 
I've covered every square inch of that field. I've done everything. He said, there is nothing. There's not a rusty nail. There's nothing in. And Pastor Mike says, I want to do that field. And so they set a date a couple of days later. So they meet up there. And um, so Mike and them is going around. And this guy now gets a ping with his machine. Just up as you go onto the mound, the machine pings. And he says, okay. He says, I've done this hundreds of times. I've never picked. I've covered this hundreds of times. So Mike puts his finally there, gets it. And he says, well, let's dig. So they start to dig. They go down about 18 inches. And here they hit. It's all laid out flat. Bars of silver. Solid silver ingots. And it's got all these markings on, like Celtic markings. And they go, oh my goodness. So they then pick up the silver, they put them aside, and they see there's a whole lot more treasure underneath. So this guy that was helping them phones the ministry, the ladies in charge of the museums and treasures and things like this. She said, no, I'm in a meeting. He said, no, you don't understand. Cancel your meeting. You better get here now and send a police vehicle. So the lady then cancels the meeting, jumps in the car. A little while later, he has a police vehicle. Now, just like a lot of the fields in the United Kingdom, it's walled. And where it's not walled, it's fenced. And there's thick hedgerows. So you cannot get into the field. So they're unearthing it. And as they go beneath the layer, they find something. Now, let me just back off. The town nearby, the way they pronounce it is Kirkubri. Kirkubri. And if you say it, you know, the normal way, it's Kirk Cuthbright. Kirk is like our Afrikaans, Kirk. In Scottish, Kirk is a church. So it's the church of St. Cuthbert. Now, St. Cuthbert is in the, the sort of the same genre or alk as St. Patrick. Because after St. Patrick and his ministry, it birthed a whole lot of powerful, powerful apostolic men who would go and establish places and they would train and raise up apostolic men and then send them out across the nation. So Kirkubri or Kirk, the, the church or the church of Cuthbright is just down the road. And from that center, somewhere in the 800s, he sent more than 3,000 apostles into the United Kingdom to evangelize. They would see power, signs, wonders, miracles, dead raised, all kinds of incredible things. So they take off the silver bars and they open it and there's the cross of St. Cuthbert underneath. The cross still with the silver necklace in place. And each arm has got one of the apostles, pictures of the apostles holding the gospel. So they carry on digging and they find brooches, glassware, bangles, silver, gold, all kinds of things. And then they hit the mother load. It's a gold vase like this, still covered in its cloth. And obviously it's been soiled and, and all this kind of thing with the lid on. They take the lid off and there's more riches, more treasures inside. And there's a little bottle that it's all dried up, but it was the bottle with the anointing oil in that Cuthbert would use to anoint the apostles. Um, different, different things. So eventually they also, they look inside and there's three balls of dirt. But the balls of dirt are in, saturated with, the, mixed in with gold dust. And the balls are still there. It took them six years in their laboratories to trace the soil samples. And they found that one was the soil perfect match with Bethlehem where Jesus was born. The second ball was the exact match 
to the Jordan where, where Jesus was baptized. The third wall was the exact match of the soil to Golgotha where Jesus was crucified in all of this treasure. So there's the entire book of the whole thing. That's Cuthbert's cross on the front there. That's what the department produced. So it gets better. So they're telling me, and we felt, we really felt, we wanted you here now, and we had to tell you the story. So they had to dig and dig and dig, and um, comes evening, it comes dark, and um, when they finished and they've taken out the last treasure, in the pitch black, cloudless sky, a massive rainbow appears right across that area. David said the people that were there, because now there were a lot of them, because they all came with seismic machines and, and this kind of thing, they're all looking up and they, they gobsmacked because a rainbow in a night sky. He said it's pitch black, but here's this rainbow. And they're going, what is this? David says, my mind is just, my, he said, I couldn't take in everything. Yeah, we are uh, photographing everything. He's given me all the photographs. He's given me everything of, you know, as they were uncovering the ground. And uh, the research has been going on since 2014 till now. And they only just produced the findings of the soil. Isn't that incredible? So the police are stationed there. They are told now by the lady in charge of museums and treasures, national treasures of Scotland, that you don't tell anybody because people will be here plundering this field. All you do, all you do is say, no, they're just doing some archaeological surveys at maybe a place of interest. So they go back the next day. And of course, because they've found the treasure, they're allowed to, to be there. So they're looking with, they're digging out, digging out, searching around. And with the seismic things, they discover that this site was actually a church, an apostolic center. And where the treasure was would probably be where the altar was inside. So he said they've got people sitting there with machines. There's a police across the gate. Nobody can come in. No one can get out. So they're standing looking. And um, from this point on, it gets a bit tough. So they're standing looking. And um, no one can get, get in. No one get out. And David says he turns. And yet comes walking an old man towards him. He said he's looking around and thinking, who's this guy? How did he get in here? You can't climb over the wall. You can't climb through the hedges. There's people everywhere. The police cars across the gate. And basically, the gate is the only point of access. But here comes walking this old man. Comes walking right up to David. Looks at David and says, what are you doing here? So David says, oh, you know, it's just archaeology department. They're just doing some surveys and things like this. He says, the old man looks at him and smiles and says, you found it, didn't you? You found the treasure. Yeah. So David is like, um, um, how, how do you know? And so this old man just smiles and says, he says quite sternly, do you know who this field belongs to? And he says, no, I don't. He said, this is the Lord's field. Yeah. So he said, oh, he said he was so taken aback that all he could think of was saying, who are you? And the man smiles at him and says, 
I'm the gardener. Now David's like, and he turns to call his dad, 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 dad. And as Mike turns around, he said, split second, he turned around, no one. When Debbie phoned me and we spoke on, and she said, I want you to come. I sat down, I began to pray and I prepared. And the first message I was to preach there, which was the Friday night, I prepared a message called The Gardener. And the whole message, the whole message was, and um, sure, that God is restoring his garden. Scripture after scripture after scripture. They were blown away. They, they sat there silent with their jaws hanging open. And I talked about the Eden of God. God planted trees. Yeah. God is the gardener. God is restoring his garden. All the way through the message. That was my sermon. When they got to the point where David said, he said, my name is the gardener. I said, you said, what? He said, yeah. my eyes filled with tears. And um, I just this, this anointing came over me. So... He said, you know, I'm the gardener. Yeah. So that weekend, everything was, every single message was, I'm restoring the garden. I'm restoring water to the garden. I'm restoring the authority in the garden. The entire weekend's messages were about the garden of God. It was so powerful, the weekend, the miracles that happened, the healings that happened. And they've already tapped into something of healing and miracles. And that was why they wanted me to come. And they know because of the mantle of oven for revival on me. And they said, you've got to come. And to be brought into that and then to be told this incredible story. And here God gives me the message, I'm restoring the garden. I am the gardener. I mean, I was quoting from 1 Corinthians 6, you are God's garden. You are his field. Amen like trees planted by rivers of living water. All of those verses, and those are all verses that they've been praying and preaching. So that weekend was just a weekend of just absolute power. So, and then in between, they're taking me to all these places. So they take me to where they discover the treasure. So we stand there, and I'm going, Jesus, you gave these people a sign, but we don't need a sign to have revival. But thank you that you've included me in this most mind-blowing, unbelievable sign from heaven that you've given us the treasures of darkness. Amen? And so all my scriptures contain, and I will give you the treasures, the heavens, you know, the storehouse of my bounty. These are all the scriptures I'm sharing. They go, what? What? The entire weekend. So Saturday and Sunday, just very quickly, the miracles just continued. So they take me to all these places. So from the place where they discovered the treasure, David says, do you want to go to the Mount of Angels? I said, oh, please, let's go there. So we drive a little way away from the treasure site to Kirkubri, the church of Cuthbride. It's about halfway. We go into this field, and there's a mound that goes up maybe as high as the roof. It's just a mound in a field. And we climb through the bushes and we get up and stop. And he says, this is where the angel of the Lord used to meet with St. Cuthbert. And the angel of the Lord would meet with him here. And they would converse and the angel of God would give him the assignments and speak to him. And when he would come off, 
people were healed, dead were raised, and then he would go and minister. And so incredible privilege to be able to pray there as well. I just want to tell you, on that mount, there is such a phenomenal anointing. The early apostolic people used to say that there are thin places. In other words, where the atmosphere is thin, where you can hear from God, where God will show up. And everybody says, this mound where the angel of the Lord appeared, this is a thin place. This is a thin place. So I just had a glory time with it, and then it went on and on and on. So it comes to one of the meetings. But all afternoon I'm praying, and the Lord just keeps speaking to me about somebody with um, somebody's lungs are hardening. And there's an atrophying of the lungs. And, um, so, and a few other things. So I go into the meeting, I finish preaching, and then I just said, there's someone here, it's like a hardening of your lungs, your lungs are atrophying. And a lady comes forward, but I know it's not her, but I pray for her anyway. And then eventually, I said, there's something to do with your hands as well. And I said like cobble tunnel, but it's not cobble tunnel. And this lady responds, and she's trying to show me her hands. Older lady, but very shy trying to show me your hands. And uh, so I go to pray for her hands. She goes, no, 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 I made a mistake. I made a mistake. And I'm going. So I see one of the leaders, Matthew, who's a GP. I find out afterwards. He's this lady's GP. He's sitting there. And he's saying something across to Pastor Debbie, who's sitting on this side. And then Pastor Debbie says to me, it's her with the lungs. So I said, sister, is it you with the lungs? He said, yes, yes, yes. I said, stand up. I want to pray for you. So she said, no, no, but you already prayed for me. I said, no, stand up. I want to pray for you. So I said, just stand up. And as I walked towards her like this, and she's standing in the aisle, as I came about here, the power of God hits her. Bang, she hits the floor. She's shaking under the power of God. And, um, I mean, everybody's going ballistic. Everyone's going ballistic. The doctor's going nuts. And um, so, so they tell me afterwards, it's about the, the situation. So he said to me, the doctor said to me, because of this disease, she would wake up in the morning and her hands and feet, her extremities, wouldn't be blue. They would be pitch black. Pitch black. So stiff and like the skin would feel like it wants to pop and she could not even close her hands. It would take hours going through the day where slowly circulation, oxygenation would go back and then her hands would go pick. So anyway, I arrived for the evening meeting and uh, I just see everybody's like, everybody's excited I see the doctor's excited, and uh, so they tell me, this lady, she's in her 70s, comes in dancing, skipping, twirling around, jumping, running. She comes in through the back, goes all the way to the doctor. She says, never coughed once last night because she'd have coughing bouts. She said, the most peaceful, beautiful night's sleep I've had since I can remember. She said, when I woke up this morning, my hands were as pink as they are now. My feet were as pink as they are now. Amen. So, and other people were healed. So, I'll just tell you this one, then I'll backtrack, and then I'll start to wind out. So, another lady came forward, because I said uh, that night again, we'll pray for the sick, and it's an older lady, Scottish lady, and she comes walking up with a, also a walker, but she's walking over like this, walking slowly. When she looks up, she looks like this. And uh, I went up to her, and I said to David's wife, Abby, I said, come just pray for this lady. I said, take her by the hands, and I pulled the walker away. And I said to Abby, just look at her and say, I have the authority to give you life and to bring you healing. So the lady keeps looking down like this. And I said, no, 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 look at her, look at her. So because of the way she walks, she was like this, so she had to keep looking up. So I said, just keep looking at this girl because you're going to get life. 
And uh, so eventually she looks up, Abby says it. So I pull the walk away and I say, no, Abby, just walk with her. So she starts to walk and looks up and walks. So we do a bit of walking. So I said, okay, come back tomorrow night. We're going to finish the job and uh, give her her walker back. I kid you not, it was awesome. So she's walking like this with her walker, walks like this. And I said to her, the only reason why you're walking like that now is habit. I said, you can stand up straight and walk. So I said, but anyway, so anyway, she gets, she gets here like this, top of the aisle, she stops, she looks up, pushes the, walk, the walker <laughs> down the aisle, and she walks. Everybody's standing as the place erupts. And uh, she goes back, puts her hands on, takes two steps, pushes the walker away, goes shooting down the aisle, she walks up, and all the time you can see she's straightening up and she's looking better and she's... And life is coming into her face. So the next meeting, she comes in, and she's walking just with a walking stick like this. Straight. She's walking like this. So she sits, and I said, sister, her name is Yvonne. I said, Yvonne, how are you feeling? She says, I feel much better. I don't know. She said, do you think this could be a part of the healing process? I was sleeping. I woke up in the middle of the night. She says, I woke up in the middle of the night, and my leg and my ankle just started cracking and popping. I said, well, I think that's part of the healing process. So I said, come again tonight and you're going to hang your walking stick up on the thing. Now, they've got a few walking sticks in a wheelchair ready, you know, because, because of the sign that God gave them. They're really pushing into things. Amen. And so when Celia, when Celia gives her testimony, uh, one of the leaders, the doctor, was standing there. And there's a fire alarm on the wall. When they bought the church, it was like a hardware and you used to have a lot of wood. So you had to have this fire alarm so you would turn the handle and it would ring like this so anyway so Celia tells her testimony and she says this happened this is happened and then I look across and there's Pastor Andrew ringing the bell and they say every time someone's healed in the church we ring the bell and the place was electric was electric so the few times on the weekend you know we were able to go and ring the bell so you know me I'm standing there and I'm going I'm now coveting that bell. <laughs> I'm using every trick in the book like people from other churches. Wow, that's a nice bell. No, I'm, I'm teasing. I'm faith without a hint. But I'm standing, I'm saying, Lord, I want one of those bells. We're going to do that at ACF. Amen. Amen. Somebody gets healed like Tertia. If we had a bell this morning, we would have, you know? So I'm thinking, wowza, this is a nice tradition. This. And um, so anyway, the whole weekend, now I'm thinking, where can I, I'm going to, when I get back, I'm going to Google one of these manual fire alarm bell things. I'm going to Google it, you know, and, uh, and thank you, thank you. I, I'm, I'm sickling to keep my tears back. And uh, so I'm going to get one of these bells, you know. So last meeting comes. We have a powerful meeting. People come forward. People are touched. People are best. People are on the floor. It was just powerful. When you get there, Rob McKenzie was there. He's over in Scotland now. So he pitched up. He said, I'm just coming for the Friday night meeting. After the service, he's sitting there. I go up and greet him. Hey, Rob. And he says, Pastor John. He says, you can feel it in the atmosphere. This feels like ACF. That's what he says. He stayed for the entire weekend. To the Sunday. Came forward, got absolutely plugged in the Holy Ghost. So... All of these incredible things happen. Now it's the end of the last service. And uh, they say, no, we want you to stand here and we pray for you. Powerful prophetic words. 
And then the man comes, this man comes up, and he was directing the parking. His name's Roger. Come, Derek's the parking. And he's holding a bag, and he said, I can't tell you what you've done for me. He looks like a different person. He says, I can't tell you what you've done for me. He says, it's just, uh, God's done so much in my life. He got healed of a heart issue. And so God's done so much. He says, I just brought you a little gift. And he gives me a bag. And I said, oh, thank you very much. And I take the bag, and it's like, and I go, no. A fire alarm bell. So I'm cleaning it up and it's going to go there somewhere. And when someone gets healed, we're going to all rejoice and celebrate. And we're going to clang, 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 Is that what I mean? So uh, hallelujah. So from there, we went to Jared Cooper. I was so honored, so well received. Uh, 80 or 90 leaders. And again, preached. There were tremendous healings. Just one word of knowledge. I'm just, there was, but there were many. I mean, there was an older guy with arthritis. His hand was curled up like this, couldn't straighten it. Because of the arthritis in his neck, they had to put two titanium rods in his neck. His neck was absolutely stiff, couldn't move it. I said, no, come on, let's pray. Let's pray that God takes the metal out of the neck. And came back the next day, showed, testified. I mean, God touched him immediately. He said, this what was like yesterday. I could only open my hand to there. He could open it the whole way. It was just this finger that was a little bit, little bit disobedient, a little bit crooked. But he said, look at this. He says, I can move my neck. He says, it might not seem much to you. He says, but it's a big deal for me. Titanium rods in his neck. No movement. And now he's, he's going like this. And uh, it was absolutely powerful. One lady, I called it and I just said, diverticulosis. She came forward and I just said, put your hand on your stomach. I said, I have the power of authority. The power of God hit her. She was on the floor for a long time. She testified. She said, I've had diarrhea for more than five months continuous because of diverticulosis. She said, you prayed for me. God touched me, healed me instantly. She was eating at every meal subsequent. Amen. And so the miracles went. So the miracles went. (laughs) Hallelujah. Awesome. So God is good. The last night I preached at one of Jared's campus. And again, that night I just shared very quickly. Um, he's put it on his podcast. You can go Jared Cooper podcast. You can see it. You can hear it. Powerful meeting. I cannot tell you just how many healings happened. The Thursday morning when Jared picked me up to arrange for me to get to the airport, he said, Yow. he said, a lot of healings and miracles took place last night. And there was one lady, she came forward for something or the other. I prayed for her. And then I said to her, and by the way, what are you doing with this walking stick? She said, no, I broke my pelvis. And so, so I said, I said, well, I've just prayed for this. I said, how about we pray for this as well? I mean, Jared's saying there, come on. Yeah, come on. And uh, so I just said, look at me. I can give you life in the name of Jesus. I took the walking stick. I said, hold my hand. I said, go. She was walking. And we see how her face lit up. I mean, her face lit up. I gave her the stick. And there she went off carrying the walking stick. Amen. Amen. Come on. God is good. Amen. So I want to close. I want to close with this. And how do I close this? How do I close this? Because it's an ongoing story, isn't it? And so what I want to just share with you, the reason why I felt this morning to share that with you is to say, we've got to understand the mandate that's on this church. We need to understand what God has called this church to be. Is that okay? And so we need to be a church that's pressing after the glory of God, pressing after revival. We need to be excited. We need to be animated. We need to be full of zeal and passion for God. And we need to be a praying, worshiping church. Is that okay? And we need to be responding to God and giving ourselves to it because of what the Lord wants to do. So earlier this year, I put those scriptures on the wall. Those scriptures 
really became almost like the full manifestation of those scriptures happened in these last three weeks. 16 meetings in 18 days and several hundred pastors touched and impacted in the nations and in and Scotland. And once again, uh, they're coming and signing up, connecting. I mean, Facebook is just expanding. I'm just getting friends requests from, from those three areas. And pastor after pastor is coming up and saying, uh, Pastor John, when you come next time, please, can you come to my church? I need you. I'm in Liverpool, Manchester. I mean, all over the place, all over Ireland, the Republic of Ireland down in the south, in Dublin, everywhere so the, the invitations are. And I'm not saying I'll take all of them. We will pray. But one thing that has happened is I can tell in myself that something has changed because of, you know, just experiencing something at a different level and the reaction of all the pastors and leaders to the teachings just powerfully touched. And then, of course, all the prophetic words. What a privilege we have at church. What an honor. What an honor that a treasure of kingdom proportions of, they say, I mean, it's of world renown. It's so valuable. They've made copies of it. And those copies are the ones that go to different museums so people can view it because they say it's actually priceless. They say that those treasures are priceless. Now, you can put that into scripture, isn't it? Our salvation is priceless. We're the pearl of great price. God had a field. The treasure was buried, and he came looking for us, the treasure. And so the significance of it is so huge. But that God would connect us as ACF to this incredible thing that happened in Castle Douglas in Scotland. That they say, we've got to get Pastor John to come. Why? It's because my heart is for revival. I yearn for revival. You know, we've got to see it. Amen. And so, and it's in that regard that I'm so excited about this conference coming with all these pastors coming. Amen. So we got to understand the significance of it. We got to understand, you know, the magnitude of what God wants to do. And like that song we sang, I will ride with him. You know, he's riding on a white horse across this land. And uh, we're riding with him. So what is our answer? We say, yes, Lord. Amen. Yes, Lord. Isn't that amazing to you? I mean, I'm, I'm still, I can't get over it. I'm, I'm still so amazed. Really, I, I'm almost speechless. When I talk about it, my whole heart, my whole body shakes because of what God is doing. That's what he does because he's God. So what do we say? Yes, Lord. How many of you are amazed? I mean, you're not, you weren't bored or disinterested, were you? Okay. How many of you discern that God is doing something amazing with us? Amen. We're saying yes to revival. We're saying yes to all the plans of God. We're saying yes to the purposes of God. We're saying yes to the mandate that's on ACF. Come on. We're going to have Holy Ghost revival. Is that right? And uh, we're going to be ringing this bell often. Is that good? Is that all right? Are you all with me? Are you agreeing? Hallelujah. So this morning we would have rung the bell for Tertia because the cancer is gone and they can't understand it. Hallelujah. 